Welcome to the LeanZone.com podcast, where we discuss construction contracts, liens, and bonds. And now, our host, Alex Barthet. Does my contract or subcontract need to be in writing to be enforceable? Folks come to me and they say, ah, I wish I could do something, but I don't have a written agreement, so I guess I can't do anything. And that's not true. Your agreement, even if it's oral, is valid and enforceable. It should be in writing. I recommend that you have written agreements, but it's not required in order to have a valid and enforceable contract. The reason that oral contracts are problematic is because an oral contract is subject to he said, she said. Who, who was going to do what when? How much was supposed to be paid? When were you supposed to be done? A lot of those issues go away if you have a written contract. But if by some chance you have just a handshake, then uh, don't fret. You still have the right to collect, and you still have the right to lien. Uh, so if you have lien rights, you need to make sure that you timely assert all of the notices that you need in order to uh, perfect your lien rights. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, if you do residential construction work in the state of Florida and in certain counties, specifically Miami-Dade, there are certain mandatory municipal residential disclosures that are required. If so, then having an a oral contract may be a problem because then you haven't given the owner, the residential owner, those mandatory disclosures. There's one for the lien law. There's one for construction defects. Uh, Miami-Dade County uh, Code 10-33 has a whole you know, page, close to two pages of disclosures that are required. Um, so again, it's not that you need a written contract, but in that example, those mandatory disclosures have to be done um, nonetheless. So then the next question I get is, uh, is my estimate or proposal or invoice an enforceable contract? Uh, and the answer is yes. Uh, it'll be governed by its terms, whatever those terms are. That's what's going to control. Um, so the key is put some good stuff in your estimate, proposal, or invoice so that you have a valid agreement and you have some terms that, that uh, are beneficial for you. Just like an oral agreement, you are able to assert lien and bond rights with respect to your um, invoice or proposal or estimate, um, but you need to timely file uh, the necessary documents, notice to owner, claim of lien, which we'll talk about later. All right, next. What are the most important contract terms that should be in my construction contract? So the first thing, absolutely positively, if you're going to take control of the situation and fix your contracts, is get a written agreement. Make sure your agreement is in writing. Next, list the exclusions and assumptions that are the basis of your scope of work, your price, and your schedule. If there are things that you know are outside of what you intend to provide, you need to make sure that you list them as a series of exclusions in your contract. This contract does not include, right? We've all seen them in contracts. It is probably one of the single best ways you can avoid disputes is by listing the things that you know are not in your contract 
as exclusions or assumptions that are, prem are the premise of your price. So, you know, we assume that uh, there's uh, only two feet of muck in the foundation when we excavate. Uh, and that's, why, that's what our price is based on. So if you find more than that, then you have the ability to, to, to make a claim for a change. Uh, I would tell you probably, the, uh, especially with, uh, as a subcontractor, dealing with sophisticated contractors, the single most important thing you can put in your contract is the right to stop work. Um, now, if you're a general contractor, you want to make sure that your subs can't stop working. And if you're a sub with sub-subs, you want to make sure your sub-subs can't stop working. But here's an example of a provision that a subcontractor could put in their contract to stop working uh, if they don't get paid. Subcontractor can slow or stop work without liability or penalty if it has not been paid its draw request in 30 days after submission. Now, I pick 30 days, maybe the during the course of the negotiation, that number goes to 45 or 60. But understand that if you don't uh, have an affirmative right to stop work, most sophisticated contracts these days have, quite frankly, the opposite. They have a provision that says, even if we have a dispute, you have to keep working. And if, you're, if you have to keep working and there's a dispute and you're not getting paid, what does that mean? That means you're financing the job, which gets very expensive. So. You, so it's nice to require that you get paid, but as importantly, you want to make sure you can uh, stop the bleeding and say, you know what, I haven't been paid, so I'm, uh, I'm not working anymore. And this is a provision that'll let you do that. This episode is brought to you by the Miami Construction Forum. This invitation-only group of construction professionals of all sizes and trades meets monthly for an informal lunch and learn session on current topics of interest, from getting paid and safety to bonding and insurance. To see the upcoming topics and request your invitation, visit MiamiConstructionForum.com. Uh, next, define the change order process. Every one of you has uh, dealt with construction contracts, knows that change orders are, are common. So if they're common, that needs to be an area of your contract that you spend a lot of time understanding and dealing with. Um, so typically, we see two types of change order processes. Um, one is the change order by agreement. So the parties identify that a change order is going to happen. Um, the change order is submitted. Maybe the price is based on time and materials. Maybe the price is a lump sum. Uh, but the parties understand what the scope, uh, the time, and the dollars are associated with that change order. Um, and then the paperwork follows along. The other uh, type of change is what's called a, a change directive, which is uh, someone telling you that you need to do this change irrespective of your agreement on price time, and scope, which typically means that you need to keep segregated records to show that your men and materials were doing this change directive work versus everything else. Those are the two most common scenarios we see. Understanding that, you need to read your contracts and walk through the process in your mind of how that's going to happen on the job. 
so that if there are any flaws in the construction contract change order process, you identify them in the course of your negotiations. So one of the things we see on a comp, uh, one of the things we see on a regular basis is the fact that um, you are instructed to do change order work uh, via email or on a verbal directive, um, but you don't have the paperwork yet. If you looked in your contract, most sophisticated subcontracts actually say that you are not allowed to start or do any change order work without a signed change order. Well, you did the work and then you negotiate afterwards. It's much better if you could go in the course of your, when you receive that change order, you say, my contract with you says I can't do any of this change order work until you give me a change order. Here's my change order. I'm ready to go once you sign it. And then you can force the contractor or the owner to make a decision on what they're going to do. They may decide at that point to issue a change directive and say, no, 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 we don't have agreement on this. Go ahead and start the work. The, the reason you want to force either a signed change order or a change directive before you do the work is then you can avoid an argument later that it wasn't a change, that it, that it was actually part of your contract. If they give you a change directive, that's a, that's a, a recognition on their part that it's a change. Then the, the question is, what is the um, dollars and time associated with it? So think through the change order process um, as you negotiate and review your contracts. Um, define what happens if you or the job are late. Uh, are you entitled to additional time. Are you entitled to additional time and money? Probably not. Probably have what's called a no damage for delay clause, which says that you may get time but no money. Um, you need to know that in advance because many jobs run long. What happens when the job runs long? W what is the process that is going to happen when um, you don't finish on time? Understand that you may be obligated for work and materials reasonably inferable from the plans and specifications. This term reasonably inferable is very common. It exists in most contracts we see. And that means that even though it doesn't actually exist in your contract, it's not specified in the scope of work, it's not actually listed in the plans or specifications, you may be obligated to provide it because you agreed to provide uh, a system uh, that includes everything that's disclosed and anything reasonably inferable from it. I'll give you an example. Um, we had a client that was an owner, hired a contractor uh, to build a, an addition to a school. Turns out that the um, nowhere on the plans were thermostats for the AC units. Nowhere. Weren't in the electrical drawings, weren't in the mechanical drawings, nowhere. Well, how do you control the AC units if not a single room in the, in the school has a thermostat? So we argued that it's reasonably inferable that if you're putting in AC units that we needed thermostats. Uh, and the contractor, because he signed that contract with that provision, agreed to pay for all of the thermostats. It was about another 15 grand. Um, so be careful about those words, reasonably inferable, which makes, by the way, your uh, list of exclusions even more important. Uh, you want to either exclude or list the applicable plan pages that are incorporated into your contract. If you are the mechanical contractor, ideally, you are only listing in your contract the mechanical, contra uh, the mechanical plan pages. 
so that in case something exists on the architectural pages or the electrical pages, those are outside of your scope. Now as a GC, you want to list every single page in the contract, uh, in the plan, so that the contractor, uh, so that the, each of the subs is bound by not just their exact scope, but everything that exists in the plans. So be mindful of that as you read uh, the contract. Thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast app. For articles, videos, and forms on this and other construction topics, head over to the LeanZone.com.